Dave the Lawyer Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into my podcast. I think the world is a very interesting place, and most of the stories none of us have ever heard of. So I try to find the stories that I know you would find interesting that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And this is episode one. There was no more cash. The governor came in and said, you're not allowed to operate. Everything was closed. Lee Nelson and his co-founder, Pat O'Brien, founded the Florida Cane Distillery in 2012. They're a real success story of a small startup business and a couple of guys who have figured out how to get ahead of the curve. In this episode, find out how they survived the COVID-19 disaster and came out thriving. I call this the Nimble Distillery. Hey, Lee. Hey, Dave. Why don't you go ahead and introduce the audience uh, who you are. Okay. Um, I'm Lee Nelson. I'm one of the founders of the Florida Cane Distillery. And um, this really, uh, for the past kind of 15 years, I've been morphing from a, a home distiller into somewhat of a professional distiller. And uh, the the goal has always been over these years to create something that people in the Tampa Bay area could be proud of that really, you know, showcases the area and showcases the state um, and really becomes kind of this hometown landmark, hometown phenomenon. Let me uh, interrupt you because I'm dying to bring this up. I've, I got a big smile on my face right now. And by the way, cheers. Skull. We're having, I'm drinking lingonberry and... Uh, Sparkling, <laughs> sparkling citrus green tea with some fresh mint that Lee made for me because I'm not drinking alcohol at the, at the moment. And uh, what are you having, Lee? I am drinking our El Encanto Silver Rum, which is one of my favorite things we make, with also a splash of lingonberry. Which you, you gave me some of that rum last week, and I, I broke my... Uh, what do you call is it? On the wagon or off the wagon? <laughs> I'm not sure that's a term, but you can okay. say you're on the wagon. But that, I broke the wagon <laughs> and had a drink on Sunday, and it was, I have to say, it was amazing. It was very, very good, and, and I'm, I'm very, very picky. And I'm not just saying this because I'm at your distillery, because you're one of my best friends. I'm very, very picky about my alcohol, and I don't always drink, but when I do, it's, it's always got to be something good, and yours is really smooth. I mean, thank you. I it don't it don't be mad. Um, uh, there's a lot of good vodkas out there, but I, I really don't think that there's one that's better than your rum or your vodka. Yeah, we. I'm very proud of both of those, and uh, it's good. You don't want to make something that people yeah. don't like, and you yeah. want to make something that people love and ask for there's a there was a it reminds me when i was in cleveland i used to bartend at a blues club called wilbert's and we had a a well vodka it was called paramount vodka in a plastic jug from cleveland ohio and that was the, sounds delicious it was the definition of the worst <laughs> alcohol you can drink and that's been my standard for the rest of my life of that's what rot gut alcohol is yeah yours is the opposite yours is uh you're going to be mad. This is where you're going to be mad. Yours is as good as Tito's. Which yeah. Is my no, favorite. I'm not mad about that comparison. I think that at some point in the near future, people will have that discussion across the country, which, which, is, a, which is a better 
spirit, what they make in Florida or what they make in Texas. That's cool. Yeah. So we'll get into all that nitty-gritty in a minute, but the other thing I wanted to interrupt you was I remember the first time you told me that you were gonna you were thinking about opening a distillery. And yeah. I could tell you exactly where we were. We were in Ybor City. Okay. Uh, I want to say we were sitting outside, maybe at Hamburger Mary's. Okay. Maybe not, though. Somewhere right by the Hamburger Mary's. And we were talking campaign stuff because, so the audience knows, you used to, we met because you, you were my campaign manager for a while when I ran for Short office. stint? Yeah. Uh, and we became fast friends. But anyway, you were telling me after the campaign, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? And you were talking about opening a distillery, and I was super excited about the idea. And for one reason or another, I didn't end up joining you, but I've always been like kind of your biggest fan behind the scenes, I think. Yeah, thanks. I, it's, you know, that's what friendship is, and when you can share in the excitement of what the other person that you, who's your buddy is, is excited about. And I um, became obsessed with trying to create this the brand and the company behind the brand. And it didn't, it, when you don't have capital, it becomes a, a, a more treacherous and longer journey. But it's funny that you talk about like the origins of the company. And I talked about the business with everybody because I knew I didn't have the skill set or the tool bag or the capabilities to do it myself. And, you know, I reached out to, to literally everyone within my circle and, and talked about, um, this idea, right? How do we do this? How do we build something that someday competes with Tito's someday stands on its own? Um, and it, takes a lot because when you sign up to, to, to build a business, you are committing to giving up uh, a significant part of your waking hours. So let me uh, ask you a couple of, or point out some things that I think are particularly interesting about you. And that is, you still work at a, you know, maybe we won't say who or maybe you can. A large financial a institution. A very large financial institution doing very complicated white collar stuff, making presumably pretty good money, and at the same time, somehow insanely, for the last, what, eight and a half years or so, starting a distillery from scratch in a completely different part of town and somehow juggling both, which to me is just completely insane. Tell us about that. Because that's a sacrifice you've made. Yeah. Uh, so w when, I, when I went to start this, I was talking to everybody who would listen, seeking advice about um, the best way to uh, grow a brand. How do you create a brand? And, and I had the opportunity to talk to somebody who had successfully created uh, a number of brands. Um, he, he imported a vodka called Three Olives. He went out and helped found and, and grow a distillery called High, um, High West out in Utah. I'm sure you've heard of them. Grow Both great brands. Um, and, and so anyways, this gentleman uh, looked at everything, looked at the business plan, looked at what we were trying to do, and, and candidly said, it takes 10 years to get any momentum. It takes 10 years to grow a brand from scratch. And I didn't want, and I couldn't, couldn't figure out, I guess, how to get the business to pay my salary in order to let that, that it, the incubation period happen. Um, so I made a decision early on that all my work 
into the company. I would never really take a penny from the company. Uh, I hope in the next five years that changes, but uh, that's been one huge advantage that we have had over other craft distilleries in the state of Florida is there isn't a a top-line cost of executive salaries and leadership salaries. Which I'm guessing is very uh, palatable to any potential investor, too, because... They're going to be making it. So you're reinvesting all the money back into the company all this time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's there's always places to spend money to grow a brand. And, and that's at the end goal. If you want to have people associate an emotion with an image, um, you got to spend the money. If somebody off the Internet or one of the listeners wants to actually invest in your company can they do that right now they can it's going to be wide open and we're using a company called wefunder.com but if you go to floridacane.com you'll be able to click on a link and it'll take you to the landing page that has all of the financial disclaimers we went through a a gap uh, accounting certification and uh, you know you have to understand the risk associated with it and then if you feel the vision that we're driving, if you're in tuned with, with what we're trying to do here, um, we really want this to be a community-owned endeavor. But anyway, the location's super cool. It's like an old uh, building for people who aren't familiar with Tampa. It looks the part of Tampa that Ebor looks a lot like New Orleans in the French Quarter. A lot of it's a super historic building. Yeah. So Tell us the, about it. yeah. Um, we are next door. We, we are where the old stables were. So uh, when folks t- talk about uh, the Rough Riders coming to Tampa, they hung out across the river at the University of Tampa. But this was the place to come because the bar was here and the brothel That's was cool. here. So, so cool. across the street was the brothel, and, and we are physically where the stables were. When they tore this down, so this was 1908, this building was built. Um, it was originally built as a boarding home, and um, the founder of La Gazzetta, uh, which is a local newspaper, Italian, Spanish, and English newspaper, was uh, when he emigrated from Cuba. His first room was in this building, um, so cool. it, it's kind of cool. People come Very in here cool. all the time and talk about, um, you know, that gentleman and and the Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Rider connection, That's and there's a lot of history cool. here. But my favorite story about this building is that. There's something called Bolita, and I know Dave and I have talked about Bolita quite a few times, which is like the running of the numbers, the lottery. (laughs) The numbers. The numbers. The numbers. The numbers were. The Tampa numbers. They were run out of the back room. So we were were just sound checking various spaces in the the distillery, and in the back where we were, where that refrigerator was humming and we couldn't do the recording, was the old casino. The original casino, there was a giant sign. No. There was a giant sign on the eve that they had built because people be used to. Me. I didn't know. This that. was all. This was this was the tolerated. It was illegal, but the police never busted it. I mean, I'm sure they would occasionally do it to send some kind of message, but there that that was all run out of the back. So, if anyone's interested in like uh, Tampa history or Tampa mafia crime stuff, which I'm super fascinated with, there, there's a, a book called Havana Nights and. And there's another one called Cigar City. Those are like the two staple books. Cigar very, City Mafia. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good books. Um, 
And the, you'd be amazed at the, uh, the, the mob history ties in Tampa. Like all the movies always place everything in Miami, but it's actually most of it was in Tampa, yeah. especially the Tampa-Cuban connection. So, the, yeah, and, and this was a neat marriage between the Italian mob um, and, and different mobs that were Florida-based. They, they kind of all married here in, the, in these streets. And as we're talking, there's a super colorful rooster across the street over yeah. the distillery, which brings me back to my original point I was going to bring was how you decorated it. Uh, I love the marketing and the design. You have uh, Florida Cane Distillery, an Ebor original with a crowing rooster because the roosters in Ebor City are pretty much everywhere. Right. I like that it's bright and uh, yellow like Florida sunshine. Where does the red come in on the cane? Um, does it just look cool? Or? Well, the company the company colors have always been black and red for whatever reason. That's okay. been our marketing material theme. Um, when we designed this space, we wanted to look at Florida inspiration, Ebor inspiration, and the brand and how it how the brand sits in Ebor. And one thing that Ebor is known for is is how eclectic it is. Right, you've got Fine dining and in the barter house and awesome ethnic restaurants. One it, of the it, best Indian. Yeah. Just for the listener who doesn't know, since we're we're doing a lot of Tampa nerd talk. Ebor is a section of Tampa that looks like the French Quarter. Basically, if you've never seen it, it's super historic. What needs to be preserved here is the music and the art scene that is not mainstream. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that that's kind of oh, key, sure. right? When people come to Tampa. Um, folks that may have, you know, a predisposed notion about what Ebor is about, it's it's always referred to as like the Latin Quarter, like the outsiders. Right. Like it does mean something different because this is where, you know, the center for the, the, a lot of tattoo artists, a lot of a lot of art studios uh, exist in top of uh, top of the bars and in the space, right? So that there's a lot of mixed use uh, for all the buildings. Yeah, um, it has a very artsy feel. Yeah. It's important mm. for the culture of a city to have a section of the city that is a little bit gritty and a little bit rough around the edges. And that totally fits with like what what we tried to capture in this room, right? So we wanted something to represent diversity, something to represent, you know, our history of being bootstrapped and starting from nothing and getting community involvement. And then that same component of just being original, right? And Ebor original, that has a lot of meaning to me when we when we plaster that up and we talk about it. Right. Like it ha everyone has a different story to get where they're at. And and the value of coming and getting to know a section like Ebor is talking to the guy who rolls the cigars, talking to the guy that makes the cocktail, talking to the local business person that's setting up shop and and, there, you know. and there's no denying that Ebor is the coolest part of Tampa. I mean, it's it's by far the coolest part. And maybe that uh, notion it. of coming in and getting mugged is is not no, a I mean, uh, not a, an, uh, liability or an the asset. At two o'clock in the morning, when there's a lot of drunk people, is a totally different scene than totally. Then like now, yeah. it's completely family friendly. In fact, families hang out here all the time. Business uh, friendly, family friendly. It's only at two, three in the morning, like any part of any city, where it can get a little dicey. Yeah. At, on a Saturday night, when people have been had too much to drink. I mean. Yeah. I didn't want to go too much on that tangent. I was just. Well, I out. think it's a good tangent. I think it's it was part of the decision for for coming here. And when I think about the history of the the business, I wouldn't have gone to any other part of Tampa. 
There's there we connect with Ebor and and feed off of its energy more than anything. It helps define the brand. What are the biggest customers you've had? Uh, dollar wise, uh, Walmart huge. and huge, huge huge orders. Awesome people to work with. Amazing. There's the again that whole notion about squeezing margins and and putting uh, unnecessary demands on small business. We didn't experience any of that. We were super fortunate. They, they, they went out and secured. Uh, they, By they the were, way, there goes a the cable car. We have cable cars in Ebor, which is super cool. Go and on. they're going to expand that. Did you read cool. that? No. Yeah, so they're, they're getting a, a big grant to extend, extend the line. Nice. Yeah, um, we made a strategic play early on to focus on uh, all the theme parks. We thought if we could crack the theme parks and really, again, yeah. showcase that we're a local thing, um, Which ones are you in? Are you, uh, we are Disney? not in Legoland, but we are in Disney, uh, SeaWorld, Epcot, Bush Gardens. Wow, that's great. And um, I feel like I'm forgetting what one. Yeah, uh, there's a, one part of Universal. Dinosaur World. We are not in Dinosaur I don't think they serve alcohol. You I wish they did. Until you're in Dinosaur World. We've got to do Dinosaur World. I've never been. What? In fact, you're the only, I'm, I think you're the only one I know who's I'm been. I'm an annual pass holder. Uh, maybe it's next a, time you go, let me know. I'll I will. It's almost a bike ride for my house. Well, so when the virus is done, I got to go check it out. One of the big reasons why I wanted to do this interview with you today is because you were telling me about how you overcame some challenges, but specifically this horrible COVID-19 thing that's destroyed untold businesses all over the world. But you actually, uh, I think were the definition of being nimble. Uh, it's an extremely impressive story, so why don't you go ahead and tell the audience, uh, and make it summarized at the beginning. We can all guess. You had to shut your, your tasting room down, which is where the majority, I would guess, or a big chunk of right, your right. profit margin comes. Uh, because for the audience that doesn't know, when you manufacture alcohol or beer... You can cut out the distributor when you have a tasting room and you can sell directly to the customer, which saves you at least 30% or gains you 30% profit margin. So to, to lose that, let alone the showcase of, of your product to the walkers buying the tourists coming by, one would think would be a completely fatal hit, and it probably was to almost every other person in your shoes. But you were able to overcome that, which is what, to me, which is so amazing about the story. So with that setup, why don't you tell us? Sure. Um, $80 and half the staff furloughed. There was no more cash. And, and as every business owner that also has, you know, a loving and committed wife or spouse that's in, in the wings, there comes a point where you can only go back and say, let's put more of our money back into this business to keep it afloat. And that's where we were. We were, we were tapped on that front. We were very leveraged. We had just ordered new equipment. We had, we had taken out some sizable loans. Uh, I can tell you if we talk about obstacles about, you know, what it is to play by the rules and go through the SBA loans. But here we were, there, there were, there was no more cash so there was $80 left in the bank account. Um, our understanding of like where the world was, what was going to happen, was limited to like 20 minutes, right? You couldn't predict the future beyond 20 minutes. And what time period are we talking about? Is this March? I mean, this is literally Mike Pence. Yeah. 
holding up a sign saying these are six feet away, start wearing a mask. Um, this is this is where you know the the world was changing. There was pre-COVID and there was post-COVID, and we were over the hump and we were post-COVID. We were, the governor came in and said you're not allowed to operate. Everything was closed, and we had to make decisions about how to take this debt that the company had and and eat it. Right? By the way, let me pause you. For the listeners, it, the audio sounds different because... Sure. And then we hear little raindrops because now we're sitting inside the company truck, right? Yeah. The, the new Ram truck. That's properly insured. <laughs> and, and there's some raindrops, so they, that's what you're hearing. Anyway, go on. So, so here we were, right? We were post-COVID, new world order, $80 in the bank, no way to, to fund more. And it was a hard discussion talking to employees about letting them go. And everybody dug deep. Um, people were building websites that had never built websites, you know, shopping cart engines. People were, were out in the street trying to sell hand sanitizer. We had everybody trying to understand what the new, uh, you know, technically there was the uh, coronavirus 2 relief package. And when the... And, Trump signed that into law, there was a mandate in the in this legislation that said that every federal agency has to revisit and make temporary policies and, and protocols to support the relief of saving the country from COVID. And it was it was this wartime mentality that spawned this idea that you could take alcohol. We literally ran around the distillery grabbing op- half-open bottles, dumping them into the still, and redistilling it to get that alcohol to turn it into hand sanitizer because the demand was so crazy. So, so you kind of jumped ahead because you got to remember the listener doesn't know anything about you. Yeah. So you jumped into hand sanitizers. This is we, the nimble move. The nimble move was you couldn't everything was closed there was no way of doing business you could have a pickup window but we didn't have that developed but there was this huge demand and we got the phone didn't stop ringing people were like are you making hand sanitizer are you making hand sanitizer so we went from saying no to saying yes and that wasn't easy it wasn't easy to figure out how to do it to recalibrate the equipment to understand the impact to the bottom line, right? We had a whole new product line we had to launch, different cost of goods sold. Instead of adding sugar and sweetener into a bottle and packaging it, we were adding, adding um, TET-B, which is, which is a denaturing agent. Uh, we had to source that, find it, understand the chemical properties of it. It was chemistry 101. We had no idea what we were doing, and we were just thrown into it. And the only reason we had to do it, it was because of it, we would have died if we didn't make that change. The company would no longer exist if we didn't suddenly make hand sanitizer. And I think you told me it took you how long to retool to put the product, uh, the sanitizer? Yeah, it was three days. It That's was amazing. It, it was three days to say what piece of equipment do we have to break off? And, and we had a jerry-rigged bottling system with... Um, you know, this, this, uh, you know, PVC piping to fit the neck of the bottle, the supply chain started breaking all over. Um, it was, a, 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 
a, a period of time where you you were motivated to keep going because you knew you were doing good in the community and like at the same time you knew the business couldn't you couldn't turn the lights on unless you you know skimmed a little bit of the profit off of the hand sanitizer and we and we we paid our bills like we we predicted the demand but i have to stop and tell you about the demand there was we were about two and a half weeks in and i took a moment and looked at all the voicemail messages all the emails all the requests we were talking to tesla uh corporate their manufacturing facility uh out west arizona area we were talking to USPS, Wawa, 7-Eleven. And if we added up everything that was in demand at that moment in time, we could have sold $80 million of hand sanitizer. If you if you had had the facilities to do it. If, yeah, if I had that product in a package that was shippable, that in that instant, I had $80 million of purchase orders. And that's massive for a business that four years ago was was celebrating a hundred thousand dollars in sales but how is the profit margin on liquor versus hand sanitizer it is almost identical that's amazing that, that yeah. the numbers work out that way i would never think so so yeah for the more sophisticated listener that understands more about supply demand and cost of goods sold and basic accounting how sustainable could the demand be i mean i'm assuming the price you could sell it at has gone up because the demand has gone up and the supply is reduced. But how sustainable is that? It seems like a short-term bullwhip effect sort of thing that that seems like a short-lived life from my outsider perspective. No, you're not, you're not wrong. I was a pessimist too, and rightfully so. Like it's it's proven out that the WHO formula. We were allowed to make one specific style of hand sanitizer. Um, no one wants it anymore. That that fuse has burnt. Uh, we're done. And what already we, already. And and we we're in the early part of August, so this is in a couple months. That product line's already gone. Gone. We stood it up. We produced it. We marketed it. Sold it. Delivered it. We had a wholesaler. We went through the entire life cycle, and it was extinguished. And that that is was the wake up call because. We had an opportunity. Had we had we had the capacity to deliver eighty million dollars, we could have scaled up and delivered it instantly. But we didn't. We're what, craft distillers. But which sounds delicious. But the whole point that there was such a skyrocketed demand was because there was no supply, and so you weren't tooled for that. We weren't tooled. We weren't capitalized. There was a lot of a lot of factors that said, "Why well, I had to call back Tesla corporate and say I'm sorry, yeah. I can't." Ship you well, you weren't the 000. only one, I'm sure. No, they but, called everybody because you, there was no there was no supply. What's so what's so brilliant about it though is that you 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 were nimble enough. The demand for your product that you had before suddenly went off the cliff. There was no basically no demand because of COVID. Right now, suddenly it's shut the doors or find something else, and within no time at all, for practical purposes, you completely retooled and found another demand for a different product using your ingredient. Yeah. And then it sounds like there's a part two, so that was part one nimble, but part two was hand sanitizer product A we're making suddenly isn't necessary or didn't demand anymore. Now it's B, C, and D, I assume. So how many product hand sanitizer products are you selling right now? So it's two formulas, six SKUs, like six unique products. So that's a multi-surface uh, disinfectant, different 
sizes for, you know, like a commercial size uh, uh, bottle for the disinfectant, then the hand sanitizer of the whole two formula, and now an FDA-approved um, uh, moisturizer-based hand sanitizer, which is really where the future, the Florida Cane Distillery, is banking on this cosmetic component of alcohol demand. So that takes us back, back to the long-term demand. But before we do that, where can the customer buy your products if they want to, the listener? Uh, where you, where you can go can on you, Amazon, right? You can go on Amazon for the denatured product. So that's anything that's the, the hand sanitizer and cleaning. Um, for those we, that don't understand, denatured means it's alcohol you can't drink anymore because the government forces you to put an additive in it so that you can't drink it anymore. So therefore, no one can drink it. Right. It would make you very sick. Yeah, so don't drink it, folks. Don't drink hand sanitizer, for sure. Yeah, don't listen to Donald Trump. Don't drink hand sanitizer. Right. It's, right. <laughs> okay, so back to, back to the, the, the long-term demand then. To me, again, it seems like bullwhip effect, short-term supply issues. Once everybody's caught up to the huge surge of demand, the big boys like 3M or whoever it is is going to make these giant 100,000-gallon vats that you can't keep up with the price point right? because of the quantity they're producing. How are you going to beat that problem? Uh, this is another avenue with which we can use the equipment we use to make um, consumable alcohol. We can make the same type of alcohol, but then do the process to denature it. You know, I think that's a distinction, right? If we're going to try and be a really good ethanol provider for cosmetics, nice. we can say that our ethanol is so premium that it's actually identical to the stuff that's it's being consumed. By great people. idea, man. It's brilliant. Yeah. Is anybody else doing that that you know? Not that I know of. But, that's, that's but I said that about charcoal filtration for coconut, charcoal filtration for vodka, and now everyone's doing it. So we got interrupted there, which is kind of fun. You had to hurry up and serve a customer because you're kind of a one-man show right now? We are, yeah. We don't know how to staff. Um, it's a different world, right? We're not allowed to be open. We still want to keep making the spirit, selling it. People are still drinking. They're They're getting their... Spirits in a, a different way. So if somebody wants to come right now, they can buy a bottle, right? Can... Yep. And we got the pickup window open. Um, we're distributed in a little over 400 uh, liquor stores and about about 80 restaurants right now. Okay, so you were going to tell us a, a, an interesting story about what happened. Remind me again. <laughs> I don't know where you were going with it. Well, just what's something very fun or interesting story that happened at your distillery? Over the years, well, you know, it, it's always a uh, one step forward, two uh, steps back uh, kind of mentality. And a lot of the the times, you're doing your best to conform to the rules or regulations that are set by the state or the feds. And what's super interesting now is it's like bizarro world. Uh, we had. I think I shared this with you earlier, but we had, uh, I call them the brown shirts, but they're the, the code enforcement officials in the city of Tampa. Right. And they, they come around and they, there was a period where they were yelling at folks about being open masks. Cause there was all the forced shutdowns and yeah. things like that. Right. And we were visited about a week and a half ago by the, the brown shirts and 
I anticipated a horrible interaction. I came yeah, but in. you're cutting it short. Wasn't there a, a cop or a sheriff? There, there was that a cop, a cop standing next to the code enforcement, <laughs> and I'm I'm fairly certain code enforcement are cops, but that mm. I guess that's probably a debatable point uh, to some extent. I don't know. Yeah, but, but here you, they you were. You come in a couple of regulators and a cop sitting in your parking lot, sitting in the distillery, yeah, see, standing I think in the anybody distillery. Anybody would have felt a little nervous. And so I was super nervous. I thought, oh shit, what are we doing wrong now? And uh, I I told him, listen, you know, we don't let people come in. We don't let people come into this the distillery. Can we please step outside? And I I was prepared for, for getting chewed out and arguing about something. And I walked outside and I said, hey, you applied, and I didn't know we had, you, you applied for the City of Tampa continuity grant. Um, and you're, you were selected, and we're here to give you a check. That's so there I stood with code enforcement in front of my business, not letting them come in, not open for business, accepting grant money from the city of Tampa. Uh, I have no idea if I have to pay income tax on that or how I classify that from an accounting perspective, but I'm not going to say I, I'm no. I'm guessing you have to pay taxes on it. Probably, right? Yeah, so, I'm pretty sure you do. So that, and that, it's funny. We're in a, we're in a spot right now. You know, uh, Yang, who was making a good You're point right. about universal basic income, right. we have to have that discussion for, for businesses and people who have rent due. Like, we, we're at a, a challenging point right now, and we have to make a decision about um, what we're going to let die. And, and the, you know, that's probably the only message. If I could, if I could say to the 14 people that listen to this entire podcast <laughs> hey, in the first episode... If there's one, if there's one thing, it's that million, the fourteen million. Sorry, Dave. Um, you know, it's supporting your local, the local business, right. the people that make the sacrifices and yeah. and don't spend the Fridays with their their son because they've they've got paperwork to fill out and and that's it. Like, it's not us versus China. It's us versus the business that's in the, the next town. Yeah, it's really localized. If anyone who's never run their own business, which I did for 15 years, it's it's never off. It never turns off. Nope. Never. Yeah. And uh, that's a, probably the biggest draw is just a mental energy sap is it's always on. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had any, like, really interesting customers, celebrities, or crazy people come in that stick out in your head? I we have had so many, and a lot of them are kind of inappropriate stories to oh, ever yeah, share. Too bad. No, <laughs> it's 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 everybody. Uh, celebrities get drunk just like you and me. Are right? you not going to tell us? Anything? No, Come I, on. I no, I D- doesn't have to. Don't say the name then. Just uh, no, it's uh, every every celebrity comes to Tampa yeah. at some point in time, and every everybody goes out on the night on the right. town and there's like three places to go in Tampa so half the world the third of the world comes to Ebor and they all come to a distillery because the drinking's free and there's usually good parking around here yeah. so it's um but it's fun i i mean i really like this new england patriot influx into oh, yeah, the tampa bay they've all right. both both of those folks the have yankees, visited the yankees too we get the a lot yankees, yankees did that and there's so you get the sports stars that come in and and uh you know that's always fun you want to take their picture you're not allowed to and and but that's what makes it nice about being so close to downtown everyone comes i, I ran into rosie perez here a few years ago yeah yeah, it was just not too far from where you are, and she just happened to walk in, and it was 
you just kind of just walked in nonchalant with her sister. I think it's a congresswoman from New York. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's Rosie Perez. Why is nobody else, like, noticing it? So she's yeah. really friendly. Anyway. It's the benefit of Tampa. Yeah. What time really I saw is. Cameron Diaz, too. Yeah. Driving around in a black Mercedes. We've had most <laughs> most of the lightning, most of the rangers yeah, have come through the distillery. Uh, so if it, anybody wants to meet a celebrity, they could come to Kane Vodka Distillery and maybe they, they get lucky. Just camp. <laughs> Sit there long enough and you'll see somebody. But they won't let you take your picture or talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, could you tell tell the, the listeners what products you offer? Like, in- So our entire mission is to make make good products and the only way we get there is by making lots of bad ones so we we started and we and we have these brands and we experiment within these brands so within florida cane vodka uh, we now currently have six flavored vodkas and one over the years we've had 18 so we've narrowed it down to our top six so pineapple cherry orange lemon lime jalapeno and then our seasonal you don't have this candy cane anymore the fire ant? The fire ant's there, yeah. Okay. Fire ant's there. And um, the moonshines, we have four moonshines. Those are very good. Sunshine, moonshine. It's the very, highest very proof good. moonshine in the state of Florida, and we only sell it out of the tasting room. Really we don't do distribution moonshine. anymore. Uh, Red drum whiskey. So these are whiskey blends. Uh, we are now making a larger percentage of the blend. So that's our plan. As I turn on the still that I showed you earlier, we'll be making more and more of these. So we have a... a we had a corn whiskey that we discontinued. Um, we, we now do a bourbon, a rye, and we're going to do a single malt. We have a gin, a barrel-aged gin, and then an old-time gin, and that, those are a lot of fun. Um, probably one of my favorite products. And then, of course, we have the rum. Why, why don't you tell them your elevator pitch, like why, why Cane Distillery? Why, why your spirits versus Joe Schmoe's at ABC Liquor? So I think that... We've done a really good job of making sure that all of our price points compete with the same comparable product and taste or or were better. Like that's a horrible elevator pitch. But my point being is that you can get the luxury uh, spirit from a locally produced place. Well, so, let me help you with your pitch, though, because yeah. you guys are all about purity, right? Yeah. It's, Tell us it's, about the ingredients. What makes it so pure? They're just simple ingredients. So when we make a gin, it's a sugarcane base, and, and all we're doing is turbinado sugar, you know, a really nice champagne yeast, high distillation, high proof. If we don't get it right the first time, we redistill it until it's perfect. Then we filter it through charcoal uh, that's derived from coconut husks, and that not only creates uh, the right foretaste and aftertaste, but it creates the right texture. So our spirit, especially when it's chilled, will have this really high viscosity, this really high creaminess to it. Um, and that's yeah. that's the difference. Like if you're a vodka connoisseur, you're going to drink the vodka and go, that's the best vodka I've ever had. Because um, it really, if you like those things, if you like the texture we're trying to deliver, the foretaste, the aftertaste, We've done everything we can to nail all those components. Um, and then it's small batch, right? So we, we, we are tasting everything in increments of about 300 gallons. All of the fine dining establishments in Tampa, really down into Sarasota, if they're anything, they carry Florida Cane, uh, one of our product lines. And it's, that's really a testament to 
our commitment to the community and their commitment to to bringing low high quality local products into you know their bar menu and bar programs. Fair enough. So uh, I guess we'll wrap it up, Tom. Where they can your website, they can look at. Oh, before I do, you guys got a, a new uh, distillation. Machine. I'm sorry, I don't know the technical. brand new equipment. When COVID's gone, it's beautiful. It's Come a in copper and check it and glass. Out. It looks like uh, looks like uh, twenty thousand leagues under the sea submarine. It's really cool. Eighteen hundreds looking sort of future contraption from the eighteen hundreds. It's very cool. Yeah, so people can come by and see it, right? Yeah, they can come see it. And if they can't come to Florida, they can go on your website and see pictures. Yeah. All right. What's the website? FloridaCane.com. Okay, and that's C A N E. Right. And what's the address in case they want to come by? 1820 North 15th Street. And we are in uh, Ebor. In Tampa, Florida. Yeah, West Ebor. All right, very cool. Anything else you want to add before we go? No. All right. Do more of these shows. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's episode one. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you want more information about the Florida Cane Distillery, go to floridacane.com. That's Florida C-A-N-E.com. And you can check out pictures, bios, investor information, and whatever else tickles your fancy. Or if you're in the area, be sure to check them out down in Ybor City. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great one. Dave the Lawyer Podcast.